Greetings there, SE land. This is Twig, Anthony Twig Wheeler, and I am here with another episode of Twig's SE Reflections, episode number 73. 73 today with a title, a topic, getting to know clients quickly. Getting to know clients quickly. It's going to be a little story, little storytelling, little investigation into what it is that it takes to get to know our clients quickly, what we can get out of that and its importance, some reflections coming up, getting to know our clients quickly. I was over in the Democratic Republic of Congo. One of the great adventures and gifts of my life was to have an opportunity to go over there. And while I was there, I was taken around on the back of motorcycles out into the countryside, the hinterland, the out to the villages far off from the townships and population centers. We were in a village, a village called Pofo. Pofo, I think is how they said it, which in Swahili, I think they told me would mean the blind. That was the name of their village. And I showed up on the back of this motorcycle with one European fellow with me and a group of Congolese. We were all partners traveling through the countryside doing these meetings and kind of conversations with the with the villagers about different things that they could be doing, that they were doing, that these partners that I was with were helping them to animate the doing of of kind of taking care of themselves rather than looking for outside aid and trying to fix their own um, problems after the war. Big task and uh, really heartfelt. Well, I was in this village, Pofo, and I heard about this woman who had heard about me, and she had walked over a day with her mother to this little village to see me hoping that I could help with some pain that she was in. And, you know, I was, I was, I was doing a consultant kind of job there. I was, I was meeting with individuals periodically, but mostly with people who were inside of my organization. And I was doing sessions with inside my organization. And when we would get to these villages, people would come and kind of insist upon me trying to help, which makes sense and is challenging. You're going to see this person for one hour and you know that they, they are existing and living with a kind of condition inside of their nervous system and their social system after the war that is compelling really deep problems that you, you, you're unlikely to, to fix in an hour, you know. So, you know, you, you got to be really cautious if you go towards something like that. In fact, a lot of times you're much better off to be supportive to the community and not try to be supportive to an individual who, given the intensity of, of distress that these people that I was meeting with were under, you could, you could very easily have this session go south if you didn't have a number of sessions to help set things up in the right direction. You know, but let's just say like, uh, 
you you end up in an adventure and you just you're going to just be on an adventure you don't know what you don't get to make the rules so i don't get to make the rules this woman has walked young woman has walked over a day she slept somewhere along the way that's a, a lot of walking and so I, I i said okay let's let's meet let's see if i can be some kind of help so we we i said but we need a really private place you know but i don't want to be not private like her and i in there alone but away from everybody else who's been paying so much attention to us, we need to be a little separated from the village. So we end up in this building at the end of the village. It's the only thing that I would call a building, the only thing you would call a building. Everything else is, is mud brick huts, which are buildings, but those are all houses and huts, you know. This is a building. It's a, a, it's a big concrete building, in fact, made out of cinder blocks of some sort. No, nothing inside of it. Nothing inside of it, just a, a barren floor, no windows, just open framing for the windows, and essentially just a concrete building that has a cross on the outside of it, and it is a hospital or a medical center for the future somehow. It was built a couple of years before by an outside aid agency that came in to kind of do this project, and they built this building and then left. And there's, there's no supplies there, and there's no staff, and there's no information. And, and people in the village in Pofu, they just, they just think this is a strange building at the end of the road. So I, um, we went to this strange building at the end of the road and brought a couple. I think we had like a tarp with us. We did. We had something to lay on the ground. And I, I borrowed some of my friends that I was traveling with. I asked them to come with us and they kind of stood at different areas around the building on the outside. I wanted, I wanted my, this young woman I was meeting with to know that we weren't going to be interrupted and that there were people who were kind of on our side as it were, that were going to kind of make sure that we wouldn't be interrupted. So I kind of like did the best I could to set up some distance from all of the crowd and, and then also the a safe enough space, I guess, to go in into this place with. So who went in there? Her mother came with us and my European translator came with me. So I was speaking in English and then he would speak in French. And then one of our local translators was in there with us. And then he would take the, I think he would take the French to Swahili or maybe he would take the French to the local language of this young woman. I'm not sure. But it was three translators at this time. Sometimes we had four translators. Or four languages. Three translators. This time it was two translators. So it's like a little it's like a little tree, you know? It's like I say something and it and it goes telephone down through my translator, through that translator over to this young woman is who I'm meeting with. So what happens here is we sit down and I um I look at her. I just look at her sideways. And she clearly doesn't want to be seen too directly. So I look at her sideways. And I just have this incredible feeling and thought that reverberates through me. I say to myself, she is just pissed. She is just incredibly pissed. She is so pissed. You can just see how angry she is. And that was, that was kind of my first impression. 
And then I started to see if we were going to be able to do anything, if I was going to be able to help in any way. So I ask a question that goes through the little phone tree. And as I remember it, her mother answers. And it comes back and I kind of pause a moment or two and give that a moment to sink in and whatever it was. And I kind of send it back around, asked another question. And I think, I think as it goes, her mother answered again, comes back and I do my little thing. And then I send it back around again, a different question, but something to get some kind of information from her and her mother answers again. And then the next time it comes back, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm shocked that I did this, but I called the mother out somehow and I don't know how I did it because I've had to do that a few times. I, I've never done it directly. I've never said, you need to not say anything, although I've always wanted to. But I've sometimes said somehow to the client something about other people answering for them or some such. I don't know. But in any case, she did this thing where she sat back, too much to my amazement. And so that the next time I could ask a question, I knew I was asking this young woman and she didn't answer you know she didn't respond she kind of understand and I was um, somewhere in here I was given a piece of information about her suffering which I think I'll I'll let go of here except to say that like it it provided for her or caused for her like a, a continuous stigma, yeah? Because this is um, kind of a body effect that doesn't allow you to maintain your urine on your own. And consequently, you have this kind of smell of ammonia around you all the time, and so other people know about that. So, here, you know, here we were, and I'm I mean, in this place where gosh, you know, I want to help, and I don't know, I don't have any idea if I can help. And the situation definitely doesn't lend itself to, you know, kind of just telling me how to do it. Well, I don't know where I got this from, but sitting there talking, asking her a question or two, not getting any answers, mother finally sitting back in a kind of contempt, I, um, I finally said, you know, one of my jobs, one of my responsibilities in the world is to try to get to know people very quickly so that I can see if I might be able to help them feel a little bit better. Now, I don't know if I'm right when I say this to you now, I could be wrong, but I have the thought that you might be a little bit angry. And so my, you know, my, I, 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 that's exactly how I did it. And my, um, or something just almost exactly like that. That's just how I would do it. And so I, I you know, I sent it around through my, translators and I saw her kind of like shift a moment like just a, a tiny little bit you know like almost like her first body response to my presence 
other than her tension. And I give a super long, long pause, really long, but try not to have it go on too long, you know. Maybe I primed it again, or maybe she responded on her own. I'm guessing that I primed it again by saying something like, you know, I I don't know. I'm just kind of wondering if you might be a little bit mad. Yeah, well, maybe I didn't prime it, maybe I did, but in any case, what she did was she um she kind of did this little shift and more or less said no, but with a face that told me she meant yes. I don't know how I, you know, I just, I was just like, oh, she just said yes, even though she just said no. Her word was no, but everything in me said no. She said yes. And in some way it was like, okay, kind of okay that she said she gave it to me. Like she like gave me that feedback. And so I, I said, well, you know what I'm going to do? This, this does not have to appeal to you. This does not have to interest you at all. Just while we're sitting here in this silence, I'm going to put my arm out in front of you. Not too close, but just out here in front of you like this. I move my arm out in front of her, you know, like the the old Peter Levine kind of grab my forearm kind of move. And so I put my arm out in front of her and I say, so I'm going to have my arm out here. And if, if if I'm even a little bit right, that you're a little bit mad. I'm going to put my arm out here and I'm going to just give you the opportunity to kind of like show me. You don't even have to say anything. You could just kind of show me a little bit about how mad you are by just, you could just bring your hands up and, and you can put them on my forearm here you could, you could use one hand or you could do two hands and you could bring your hands up and you can put them on my forearm and you can simply, you know, you could simply kind of put your hands around my forearm and you could just squeeze a little bit and you could show me if maybe you're just a little bit, a little bit mad. And so that goes, that, that, that just goes around my translator circle and I put my arm out in front of her and I've got you know my shirt bare so she can just have my see my forearm and I wait there for what I would only describe to you as the longest of times I'm just waiting for the longest time and you know you you you're a practitioner out there you know what I'm thinking I'm thinking oh no this isn't going to go anywhere Oh no, I took the wrong road. Oh no, I've screwed this up. Oh no, I'm going to this is this is going to go silent or something wrong is going to happen. Like I am just sitting there convinced that I have um failed her and failed failed the process and such. But I'm I'm invested and I've got my arm out there in front of her and you know, I don't want to make her wrong for not being able to rise to the question. I don't want to make myself wrong now that I've invested so much in kind of pulling that back. Now, if I have to, I'm going to be the one to take that upon myself rather than 
put her in shame for failing my request. I'm going to, you know, sometimes my requests don't go anywhere. Let me pull that back and try something else. In fact, what I would try in that case, just to mention it, is that I would offer two fingers rather than my forearm. I would just move my hand back and show with my hand squeezing two fingers, and I would just invite two finger squeeze instead of the forearm. But so I would titrate it back, you know, so that as to help her be more successful. Well, as I'm, you know, sitting there with my arm out, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm invested and I'm waiting. And this is the fact of what I've done. And I feel really super uncomfortable about how this is going to blow and how I kind of blew off her mom who is sitting there contemptuous at me. And my thing isn't going anywhere. We sit there and we sit there. And I guess at some point she reaches up and grabs my forearm. Maybe, maybe she does it with one hand. Maybe she does it with two hands. At the beginning, I'm not sure. I definitely remember that she started to grab my forearm in that way that we kind of bring people into that squeeze. And, and I say, now here's the, here's the thing. It's completely up to you. You just get to squeeze as much as you want to squeeze. As little as you want to squeeze. You just show me, just me, a little bit about how angry you you are. Which is pretty heavy. And it's like, I, I don't like to come in that way. It's here I am though. And she starts to squeeze. And I, I got to tell you, my dear listener right now, I've done that that particular intervention hundreds of times. And there were two women in DRC who were the only two people who I have thought, this woman is going to break my arm. This woman was squeezing, she maybe 16 or 17 years old. She was squeezing my forearm so tightly and with such intensity that I was completely afraid. My arm was twisted kind of underneath myself. I was trying to like give myself as much body support as I could. And I'm just doing like, they had taught me the Swahili word for force. And that was what I was using for genau, which we would use in German or that's it, you know, cesa in French or um, isu in Portuguese. Like, uh, so I, I can't remember what that was in Swahili that I had picked up on, but I was using like that word, like that's it, that's it. The one to reinforce that for her. And Wow, she just squeezed down on my forearm so tight. And I would have these thoughts go through. I'll just tell you, I had these thoughts go through like, I can't take this. Like, I can't take this. I'm going to get, this is not. Yeah, this is not going to work. But I, um, I would have this other voice, that second voice, I sometimes call it. I'd have that second voice that would say, <laughs> yeah. said, can you give her one more moment? Can you just give her one more moment? And Steve Hoskinson, he'd, he'd kind of shared a line with me years back. He'd said, there are times when you have to reinvest in the environment that you're committed to. You have to reinvest 
in the environment that you're committed to. And so there she is with my forearm, you know, just squeezing down and me having this literal feeling state inside that says, this is going to hurt me. And I'm like desperately wanting it to end, in fact. And this second voice saying, can you reinvest in this? So moment after moment, I'm like making that effort to reinvest in this and let this happen and let her have her, that's it. And somewhere in there, I noticed that she gave a very, very slight, a very, very slight push. So she's squeezing and then she gives this tiny little push forward. So I take that, you know, as a cue to give her a little bit of feedback back so that she feels like she's pushing against something that's providing resistance. Yet any resistance that I'm going to give is going to be in her favor so that she's going to feel the resistance, which gives her the feedback for the impulse for the push. But I'm never going to give her so much resistance that she can't succeed in continuing to move forward if her body is kind of pushing forward, if it stalls or stops or stays in place, I won't give more resistance back other than just to give the feedback. But once she starts to push, any resistance I give gives her success in the movement, even though I am providing, in this case, really strong resistance eventually. You know, I have to, you know, my translators are getting out of the way because we actually had to, like, she was faced right through their circle. So I remember they're, like, moving out of the way, and, and I'm saying, that's it, that's it. And, and she's, um, she's got my forearm, and she's pushing me across the room. And I'm, like, got my left hand trying to support my right hand, so I've got kind of like a bracing in my arm trying to give her enough resistance I'm leaning into it I'm you know on the side of her and she's just pushing and pushing and I'm fighting back and I'm fighting back she's just pushing so hard and she pushes my arm my forearm right up against the wall right up against the wall she just like totally lands me right up against the wall my arms all twisted up against the wall and my head is turned away from her like all back against the wall like my whole chest biceps down my side is like pushed up against the wall and this woman is just just grinding my forearm with like just just grinding my forearm into the wall and i i was just like oh my god i'm gonna she's gonna break my arm and can you reinvest in this environment that you're committed to can you let this happen can you give her one more moment Eventually, she asked, it's like almost the first words I think I remember her hearing or saying. She finally asked, um, she said, 
when do I let go? And so I said, this time you decide. And she just like continued to squeeze and squeeze. And I just held there, like uh, just trying to be as relaxed inside myself with it as possible. Um, which in that instance does not mean actually just the physicality of that. Like I don't release my muscles. Like you have to keep up a tone when that's happening. Otherwise you could get hurt. So, um, but you have to relax underneath that. Otherwise you'll cause yourself to have strain, which often happens in sessions when you're, when you're um, holding people's heads and stuff. So there you go. Um, yeah. I guess it just eventually, eventually she slowed, slowed off. And as she did, I would have been noticing that and saying the next kind of level of interest. Uh-huh. Right. Say so. Say so. That's right. And as um, she let go, of course, as you would anticipate, she started to tremble and shake in the, in the, polar bear kind of way of things. Thus, that tarp was really important. So we moved her over to the tarp and she laid down and um, was just, you know, trembling and shaking. And we sat there for a long time. Some of those polar bear breath kind of things came through. Um, I should say, I should say that at the beginning of the session, I contracted around the fact that I couldn't help her with what she wanted help with. That was something that was in there. Yeah. Um, like she needs a surgery, you know, which she doesn't have access to there. And like, I, I couldn't help with that. So I needed, I remember that I needed to negotiate that to make sure that she didn't think that I was going to try and fix what she was really concerned with. And so, yes, here she was trembling and shaking because I had contracted that I might be able to help her with her, with just how she feels inside a little bit, the tension, the anger, as it were. Yeah. So here she was trembling and shaking and that was not easy, but she did a really good job with that. And her mother really got in there and got super helpful. And then I turned and looked at the doorway and my delegation, the folks that I was traveling with, were at the doorway waving to me, and they all had their motorcycle helmets in their hand. And they, one of them kind of slowly walked in and told us that we had been in there for over two hours and that we were just completely late in needing to leave and we were going to have to ride these motorcycles through the countryside in the dark on these little tiny trails that you can barely, like, they're not, they're barely wide enough for a motorcycle. They're used for walking bicycles and so they were just completely frantic about leaving before the dark and I had to leave this young woman with her mother and a promise from the local villagers that they would get in touch with us about how she was afterwards which probably took months now that was a thing. I had to leave. Yep, that's right. I had to leave. And I did. That's what happens. The world can be 
pretty hard. And our subject here, getting to know clients quickly. This is a critical thing to be able to do. And it's something that comes over time. It doesn't come from reading a book or learning a, a spreadsheet or certain list of characteristics, although lots of maps can be very helpful at learning, at directing our attention toward being able to see things in certain kinds of ways. And it's critically important to be involved in the early parts of our meetings with people so that we can get to know them quickly. I'd like to chat that up with you here. A little reflection. Episode 73. Yeah, now, um, there are tons of maps out there that prescribe and direct and, and give suggestion to how to read people, how to see people right when you first meet them, how to like have an idea of what's going on for them psychologically or physically. Lots of different patterns and maps out there. You know, it's like Hannah Somatics has one. Somatic Experiencing has like a collection of them, really, I would say. There's Endomorph and Ectomorph. There's the Bodynamics School of um, Somatic Psychotherapy from Denmark has a very elaborate one where they look at various different nuances of posture in order to read people's psychological developmental patterns. In Rolfing, there's very commonly a kind of like you commence a series a 10 series 11 series of sessions or 10 series over 11 weeks you you do this first meeting and you do like kind of posture a lot of stuff you you walk across the room in your underwear you stand for a camera photo shot sometimes you um you definitely stand and turn and the therapist is is kind of reading the tension patterns in your body and the compensations and looseness and all of that kind of stuff. Lots of different maps out there. Um, Visionary Cranial Sacral by Hugh Milne has a, has a very interesting one because it's like a card that you get that has all these kinds of questions about your impressions when you met your client, how you felt, what you seemed to relate well with, how their face was to you, whether or not it was elegant and beautiful or kind of misshapen and, and at odds like you. It's, it's kind of like getting the, your intuitive sensory input into this kind of notion of what do you come up with when you first meet somebody. You know, Stephen Hoskinson, who you'll hear me talk about pretty frequently, has, he was my primary teacher in the SE world, he has like a little workshop, the first 30 seconds, where he kind of describes his his way of thinking around the impact of first meeting somebody and first starting to work with somebody and, and how it will speak to or how that can be kind of um, inform your understanding of their various different um, um, complexes that they're they're working with. Lots of maps out there. And it's it's good to get a hold of these. It's good to... Um, invest in, I, I would think, I think I've looked at a lot of these and they've helped, they've helped, you know, there have been times and this would be maybe my caveat. There have been times when I thought this is the one that does it. 
This is the one that does it best. This is the way for me to read people when I first meet them. This is the checkbox system that I use to, to understand who people are and what I'm going to be able to need to do for them as a somatic experiencing practitioner. And, or as a psychotherapist or as a, which, I, which I'm not, um, or as a kind of body worker or whatever, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's the best one out there, guys, and maybe you're going to find it and maybe you already have. Maybe it's good to explore a lot of these and make them your own so that when you meet with somebody, you're able to have your own resonant field of how this person impacts you and what that says about how you, within your skill set, within your library of experience, how you get to respond to them rather than how you're prescribed to respond to them based on a box, based on an expectation that they are like this because they fit that box and you are now supposed to be like this response. It might be helpful to have such maps. It might be helpful to work from such maps all the time. As you go about your developmental process with all of this, you get to incorporate those individually to you and they, they that will inform you in unique ways, I think. And that's at least a advocacy for your own integration of lots of other ideas. Yeah, well, um, you know, for myself, I do have a collection of things that I'm paying attention to as I go into my first encounters with SE. There's no question that over time I've kind of like got my list of things that says, if I'm going to do successful SE with this person up to this point, the rest of this hour, the next 10 sessions, the next two years, I'm going to need this or that in place in order to be successful through each one of those levels of engagement. And, you know, most of the time when I'm meeting somebody for just one hour, you know, it, Peter, Peter Levine talks about this sometimes. You really have to decide, are you going to like try and do renegotiation work? Or are you going to try and give them some kind of skill that is going to be helpful to them as they apply it in their daily life? Or are you just going to try to help them understand their symptoms better? Lots of different things you might try to do in that first session. And there are lots of things in that one session. And there are lots of things that you don't want to try to do unless you see ample evidence that you're going to be successful with it or that there's a chance for it to succeed. In that empty medical clinic at the corner of Pufu Village, I I was going into something that I, w I really was dedicating myself to, and it could have gone bad. I got to just say, it could have gone bad. And if it wasn't extraordinary circumstances, if it wasn't super special, like I'm never going to be back in this village and this woman just walked all this way and she lives with all this internal tension at the same time as she has all this physical pain, if it wasn't extra special, like try your very, very best, I would have been like, well, you know, um, let's do this. Squeeze a water bottle and let go of it whenever you get no whenever you notice yourself getting mad. Let's just practice a little bit. I never would have tried to run her through a sequence that tried to hit threshold. I would have much rather established the rhythm of her being able to do something and let go of it. I would have given her a piece of wood and asked her to squeeze it and asked her to let go and said, I know this isn't going to solve your problem. I can't solve your problem in an hour. I can't solve your main problem anyway. And here's the thing. If you squeeze this sometimes when you're mad and you let go, it might be, it might help. I'm not saying it's going to help a lot, 
I'm just going to say it might help, and right now that might be what you need is something that helps. I might have looked for any way to titrate it down, is what I'm saying, and make it something that she could make use of without risking something going really bad. Anytime you have enough safety in the environment to do that, I would say, why not just help but not risk things going bad? And yet, as you get a real, like, kind of library of experience and you really know what you're, you know, I can move here and I can move there, you can take bigger risks. The situation can demand it anyway. And uh, you can you can recognize what things people bring as they come in in your first encounters that both tell you what they need and also what you need in order to bring into place so that they'll be successful when you start tracking involuntary experiences and experiencing feeling states that are changing without knowing what they're going to change into when the latent experience inside of your organism is one of distress and discomfort and now you're going to let like that's the thing you think about this as an se practitioner we are asking people particularly somebody like this young woman in africa we're asking her to feel something that we acknowledge is uncomfortable and to allow that discomfort to happen while at the same time like we have the anticipation that that's going to change she's been living with it for you know extended period of time with no evidence that it's going to change it's a really big request we wouldn't want to make that unless we thought it was going to come across unless we thought it was going to be successful unless we got other things in place that gave us credibility to make that request upon her you know she was invested i gotta say that she walked all that way she was going to spend her time with me and that investment mattered little things like these kind of matter so i have that list and and i kind of went over this in i think episode 67 of the se reflections podcast like the positive deviancy list which is also kind of the core of my workshop where to start and the idea there you know is just that there are things excuse me maybe a little water there there are things that we want to be sure or have some confidence that people are going to be able to access various different skills or, you know, some sessions work really well. Some sessions get really turbulent. The ones that work really well share something in common. The ones that get turbulent at least share not having those other things in common, meaning things that help people pay attention and not feel overwhelmed by it, meaning people wanting to like kind of engage with you, meaning people show up and they're invested. They want to, to they've got something that they need help with. You try to ask somebody who, who is convinced that this is a waste of their time to engage themselves in this process, no matter how much that process wants to happen and no matter how much you want it to happen, if they're not invested in paying attention in the way that you're going to ask of them, particularly if it ever gets uncomfortable, oh, you just blow that out. That's not going to happen. It's totally a waste of your time and their money and your opportunity to try to help them. Granted, you want people who are invested. That's your ideal. But a lot of your clients are, have a lot of mixed messages. And you have to learn how to negotiate the fact that they're coming to you. Clearly, they want something. And yet at the same time, a lot of them will feign a disinterest or 
a lackadaisical kind of sense or taciturn or any number of kind of levels of non-investment. They'll show up late. They won't come on time. There are ways that we need to see. We'll, we'll learn. You'll learn how to negotiate those various differences. And there's this list. It's it, You just expand your list as ever you like. And then my list, you know, when I'm first meeting with people, I'm very quickly going down these little lists inside of myself of do they do this? Do they do that? Do they have this? Do they have that? Will they do this? Will they do that? Can we do this? Can we do that? And long before I'm trying to choose which intervention I'm going to go toward, what activities we're going to do together, long before I'm trying to get the, you know, allowing them really to tell me any too much about the storyline that they might have brought and be convinced that they need to share, before essentially anything is going to happen, I'm trying to assess, does this person have curiosity and investment in being here? Are they participating with me? You know, is there an appreciation of the problem? Do they recognize that there's something that they want to change? Is there a contract to work together or not? Do, do we have that? Is the ability to notice differences present? Does this person only notice red trauma vortex elements of their experience? Or do they name other parts like this was bad and then this changed and it wasn't as bad as that? Do they trust me? Do they trust me? I'm going to ask them to do things that I'm going to need them to trust me. You know, um, do they have any awareness of this process? Are they coming in completely cold? Are they coming in with expectations for something other than what I have to offer? You know, do they have any patience? Are they, is, this needed to be done yesterday and it's not done yet and it's already my fault because we, do they have any patience? Do they have a mindfulness or focusing access? Like whether or not they have any formal training in it, do they report on their internal state? As we're chatting and they talk about something, if I ask, oh, did that feel good? And they they reference, oh yeah, man, I, I just, I felt really alive. Like my heart was pumping. They say something about their experience physically. I think, okay, that's something that we are going to need. And if I don't ever get that in these initial contact moments, I realize I have to make sure I have that before I start trying to do any big fancy process to try to make some discomfort go away. You know, um, their ability to experience different channels of cybam. Do they do they only reference from oh I'm talking to this guy and like we're all mental or oh you know we're we're talking and and she's all out in in the in the like sensational like sensorial realm like way like dis is there any dispassion can they can they you know they they get way into one channel of cybam do they have any separation from that do they are they able to switch between different channels of cybam and what is their level of passion and dispassion with this are they all about changing this i respect that totally but it tells me what how much distance can they take from this how much observer witness is there how relaxed is the mentalization? This list keeps going. And then it gets really practical. It gets really practical at the level of how oriented is this person? How much pendulation does this person express? And what's the timing and rhythm of our exchange? Those other heady ones, the, I'm, I'm actually looking for all of those and I'm tracking into all of those as best I can. And these three, these, these come down to the core of it for me. 
I'm looking, how oriented is this person? How much pendulation do they express? And what is the pattern and timing of our exchange? The reason for that is because I'm, I'm probably going to respond in kind to their timing. If they're faster, I'm probably going to become faster. If they're slower, I'm, I'm definitely going to go slower. You know, if we have a lot of engagement, then I'm going to be available for that engagement, whether or not it's fast or slow. If they're pretty distant, not so interested in looking at me, slow to answer questions, unsure if they want to be there, I'm probably backing off and doing a parallel play to that, a similarity to that, rather than trying to impress upon the importance of anything else. If they want to leave, they're going to get to leave. They get to leave. I have an open door policy. Some of you, I know it's a different circumstance. People have to come to you. It makes a different kind of thing. But even then, I would be giving people space to feel like they could leave, even if they have to stay the hour. So I'm looking for timing and rhythm and the exchange between us right away, trying to match that as close as I can to help their organism feel a little bit more itself and at ease, not pressured. Of course, at times, I'll move out of that joining so I could either copy or I can complement. I can kind of push in the right places. That's all intervention later on. At the beginning, I'm looking for who are they? What's their rhythm and timing? How do I join with that most appropriately to help them feel more at ease here? And then I'm looking, how much do they pendulate? How much do they talk about different things? How much does their voice oscillate up and down? How much prosody is in their voice? How much, when they're walking in, do they limp? Is there smooth movement? Do they choose only left turns? I don't go through some kind of list like this. I take it in at this point and try to appreciate how they doing. Is this kind of hard for them to do? Or is this easy to have some flow back and forth? Of course, somewhere in there, I do little tests. I kind of test a pendulation. Oh, so was that easier? Oh, was that better? And right there at the beginning, if they bounce over, no, no, it wasn't easier. Or yeah, it was a lot easier. It, like just made things a lot easier. If I can prime for a pendulation comment and they can follow that or can't, tells me just a whole bunch tells me a whole bunch about what I'm not going to try to do in 10 minutes from now because I'm going to have to do other things in order to get us successful at just tracking that and letting it be there and see what happens next. On the way through this orientation, when they're coming in, like, do they see things? Do they see the chairs? Do they see the options for chairs? Do they beeline for the line on the couch where they're kind of dropping away into themselves already? Do they see the paintings on the wall or the window outside? Do they reflect or kind of mention the sense of orientation if not you got to know i'm testing it a little bit i'm moving my hand or i'm pointing to something that they have we haven't talked about and seen do they turn and look at that do they turn and look at it flash it come back and start talking about the other thing do they just continue to talk and not even want to turn their head and look at things i do these little tests it's true if you've sat with me i did these little tests on you i'm like so who are you i'm trying to get to know you quickly do you orient or do you just get, kind of stay lost in the vortexes that you brought in here already? Do you pendulate or do you just stay in the, in the kind of sequence of pattern and thought that you repeat for yourself all the time? What's the rhythm and timing between us? Should I be going faster to help you feel more comfortable here or should I be going slower? I'm doing all that just about as quickly as I can. And when I'm first meeting somebody, I'm thinking to myself, 
part of my job here is to get to know this person as quickly as I can. I might not be right. I might not be right. I might not be right all the time. It's just information. It's helpful information that tells me how to respond in kind to the person that I'm meeting with. Not just kindly, but in relationship to how they're presenting, which is a just a basic, you know, I mean, if they're presenting anxiety, I am not going to respond with anxiety. You know, so it's like a, it can be a copy compliment kind of thing, a relationship kind of thing. And there is no doubt that psychobiologically it matters if I am willing to not treat everybody as though they're the same, but I'm able to shift my instrument or my organism in order to respond to different people and help put them at ease. You too. It could be true for you too. There are a couple of things that I look at for physicality, right? And everybody would, but you can look at shape and tension patterns and how people carry things as they come in, um, how their clothes are organized, you know, to tell you a lot. The state of their shoes is a classic comment out there. Um, that it's been pointed out to me that that's a class comment as well, and and it's totally true. And the level of organization that people are able to do or the over-organization that you see people do tells you a lot about what kind of tension or expectations these people are holding. You want to learn all those things pretty quickly. Mostly when I'm looking at physicality, I'm referencing the polyvagal maps. It's the simplest one for me to do. It's the one that kind of helps me see the stress response best, and that's the work that I kind of think that I specialize in. You know, there would be other ways to do that. You could be looking at you know, attachment kind of behavior or, um, yeah, the amount of looking and such attachment. These, uh, you could, you could look at, yep, I'm just going to let go of trying to figure it out right now and say, I, I use the polyvagal map, you know, so it's like I'm looking at how people move their body, listening for how their belly either works or doesn't, how deep or uh, oscillatory, is their breath? How pushed is their voice? How available are the muscles in their face? How much they turn their head and neck and or nod their head and neck? Whether their eyes move freely or are locked in with the rest of their spine? Whether their hands and arms have movement and availability to them? I'm looking at all of that in terms of like how available is the ventral vagal system here? How available is, or you know, how on demand is the sympathetic system? How influential is the dorsal vagal complex? I'm, I'm kind of trying to see that. And one amazing thing about that map, a lot of these maps you can do the same thing with, but the polyvagal map, you can kind of just watch people walk and then f their first engagements, their first encounters, and see how their organism is able to mobilize, make the changes from walking to seeing to speaking and see how, like, how fluid is their organism to make those changes. It tells you a lot. Yeah. The, I think probably the most interesting thing in all of this is how does the person make you feel? You know, you, you have to, you have to have some clarity about how you feel in order to reference this. If you, if you feel like you're pretty clear about like how people impact you and such, then you can reference, oh, you know, this person makes me feel agitated. This person makes me feel angry. You know, like, you know, you can get that if, and if you're clear about like whose is whose, if you're not so clear about whose is whose, then you can still reference how this person makes you feel. 
it's just just you know like it don't with either one don't i mean i'm gonna recommend just don't don't take it as though you know this person because of how you feel i i agree that it's incredible information it's it's i would say the most interesting part but it's just one more piece of information and it's a it's an amazing one it's like whoa you feel this person's pain you feel this person's tension you feel this person's anxiety you get swamped by this person's overwhelm and you you really respect and understand what they're going through and you know it's i don't know there's just such such dynamism in here between who you are and who they are and no single piece of information not even internally felt by you and how dramatic and important that could be. No single inf piece of information should actually be the thing, the determinant that tells us what to do next. It should hopefully be like a, an increasing conglomeration of respecting all of these different things, how fast the person speaks to you, whether or not they answer your questions, and whether or not your heart goes a little faster when you're hanging out with them or not. Yeah. The point behind all of that, you know, is that you want to be able to meet your clients where they're at more, more and more. You, try, you know, that's the thing that we say out there in the somatic therapies, like you're trying to meet your clients where they're at as compared to hold a, a line or an edge or an expectation that says, oh, I'm going to take this person from where they're at to where I want them to be already or want them to be able to do part of you know, one way that can be worked, that you can work, is that you say, no, I'm going to figure out how to adjust my interventions, my organism, my request on their attention. I'm going to figure out how to adjust myself as a professional so that I can provide the clearest and easiest signal of support and safety and kind of helpful inquiry that I can, that my client, as they are, where they are along the resiliency spectrum, along, you know, how, however you want to read wherever they are, what that means to you, that you're able to join with them there and help them succeed there in order to help them increase their range of experience and try on new other things that you might then help. You know, it's amazing. You could think I'm going to guide them to that. And then it finds that turns out you're just joining along as their organism is naturally experiencing an increased neuroception of safety and enhanced capacity to have a neuroception of safety you just see that their own change process unfolds and you 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 maybe you were kind of like sneaky at the beginning and said oh this person doesn't have curiosity i'm gonna have to get that in play before i start asking them to feel their body and so you you might play out but once you start getting curiosity on board you're not you're not the one in front anymore you're just kind of going along for the ride with a certain amount of guidance to support the moment when it gets a little confusing but the the grand scheme i don't think you have to worry about the grand scheme you just have to join people with where they're at help them succeed there follow along with what the two of you are ready to do next together that's all a heady way of saying you know um if you're if you're out there and you're meeting people for the first time you're not meeting a friend you're not meeting a lover you're not meeting an acquaintance. You're meeting this person who your task, your specialized task, is to see what you can do to help them feel better or integrate their life experience or 
get out of this sense of some kind of continuous, continuing, unfolding tragedy in their lives. You're, you know, you're, you're trying to help. And when, you, when you're choosing what you're going to do in order to help them, you, you're going to try to choose things that they can succeed at and to figure out what those are you're going to need to learn who they are. And the quicker you can do that, the better. So it's a task. It's part of the interest of the job is to try to figure out how to learn and understand people as best you can, as fast as you can. And then uh, when you go out and meet with your friends and potential lovers and everything, you know, you can, you can turn that stuff off and you can just go and be human with them in a slightly less organized way (laughs) yes my friends this is twig waving you goodbye bye-bye now she is just pissed and here's a tracking twig moment i am headed to western massachusetts yes january 27th i'm going to be at the Friends Meeting Hall, talking about where to start, a little plan, sequence, protocol, thought process for how to engage new clients. That is happening in Northampton, January 27th. And then I'm having, we're not me, but we are having a social. Yes, we are. We're having a social on Thursday night, January 28th, somewhere, Northampton or something. I don't know, if you're anywhere near there, check out my schedule, www.liberationispossible.org slash schedule, and there will be information about both of those events. I'm looking forward to seeing y'all in Western Massachusetts. Okay, that's that.